The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to talk about conflict. Particularly, you know how this goes. You're stressed, you got an awful lot to do, there's more coming down than you know how to hand, manage, and that person that sits close to you is just so annoying. And it seems like daily you end up being frustrated by that particular individual. And then if that's not enough, inevitably you end up on opposite sides of an issue. It matters to both of you and you certainly don't want to give in, not to that person. That's what we want to talk about. That kind of conflict where it is a bit personal along the way. We all have it from time to time. Now the question is, how do you manage it when it happens to you? So we really have three parts to the show today. First is we want to talk about why it is that we always end up in conflict with the people that we don't particularly like. And then second, I want to talk specifically about, so what do you do when that conflict happens, particularly with someone you don't like? And third, we're going to talk about mediation. What is it? When is it useful? How do you use the techniques in your own life, particularly in your own business life? So with me today is Dr. Lynn Curry. Lynn is the president of The Growth Company. She does human resources training and management consulting and coaching based in Anchorage, Alaska, where it is increasingly an Alaska winter, I understand. Over 38 years of experience in helping clients in management, whether that's the board, the manager, employee training, human resources and organizational strategy and consulting, or executive coaching. Lynn has authored four books, but her most recent ones are called Beating the Workplace Bully and Solutions. And you may remember Lynn from a former show where we talked about how do you deal with a workplace bully. She has two fabulous blogs, one www.workplacecoachblog.com as well as bullywhisperer.com. And if that's not enough, she writes weekly columns for the Alaska Dispatch News and she also is regularly featured on sheknows.com. So Lynn, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. It's good to have you back. So we talked about bullying before, but this time I just want to talk about regular, ordinary conflict, you know, particularly with people who just frustrate us. So everyone is stressed. Conflict is all over the place. And in fact, I often say that the modern matrix organization is there for the purposes of surfacing the natural conflicts between two polar opposites of the organization. So what is it that makes conflict so tough? I think we all have a way of handling things, and we really like 
our way. And we run into um, conflict with people who have a completely different way of viewing things, a completely different way of doing things, but we're still responsible to get the project out. So you might be someone who likes to start at one point and go straight through to a conclusion, and you might be dealing with someone else who says, let's sit around and brainstorm, and you think, I don't have enough time to sit around and brainstorm. We've got to get this done. And they insist on taking so much time. Or you might be a person who really likes to dive into the details because you think if you deal with the details, the big picture will take care of itself. And you're dealing with somebody who's a visionary who insists that if you organize the big picture, the details fall into line. So you come at the core project that you and the other person have to collaborate on from absolutely different perspectives. It's worse if it's your manager, but it's darn hard if it's your peer because then you don't have any power to change how they're operating. You have to put up with it. (laughs) It reminds me of so many people who frustrate me, and I will give a bit about myself, particularly people who don't want to talk. I'm a talker. If I can't talk about it, I miss the whole point. Is Where's the fun if we don't talk about it? And as I say about extroverts, I often don't know what I think until I've said it out loud. But that colleague that wants to sit and think just drives me up a wall, particularly when the pressure is on and we got to move quickly. Okay? Absolutely. The people who are very deliberative and they need processing time, um, they absolutely shut down when the talkers get around them because they feel the pressure and it drives them even more into their turtle shell. Okay. All right. So in today's organization, we know that different styles are really sort of normal course of work and not everybody is like me, thank heavens. And, in fact, we value it. Increasingly in a world where we're talking about diversity and inclusion and innovation, we want teams and environments where people don't think the same way, don't have the same experience, and so on. But knowing that doesn't make it easier. So what is it that happens in our minds when we now encounter that other person with a different view or a different way of doing things? Well, I think what we we do is we intellectually know other people are different, that they actually march to different drummers, but that doesn't help us in the real life. And where where we go in our mind is we start to judge the person who's quite different from us. Um, if there's a person who works with us who likes to um, say hello to us every time they pass us in the hallway, uh, we tend to find that annoying. And yet, if you're one of the people who likes to interact with other people and you're naturally polite and outgoing and you do greet others in the hallway, when they walk by you without even acknowledging you, you wonder, what is their problem? Or more importantly, what is their problem with me? Yeah. Yeah. So it becomes personal. We always say you don't personalize this. And we always say you take the emotion out when you're trying to deal with conflict. But I find that that's virtually impossible to do. Absolutely. It becomes personal very, very quickly. Okay. So how do you help people not judge? Well, first off, give me an example of what you mean by judging. Um, That's a great question. What I mean by judging is you're looking at the other person um, and you have decided that the problem is them and that they need to change their ways and you have an opinion 
that's negative about them. Because the truth is we all judge. The problem is when we get into being judgmental. It's the AL that gets you into trouble because now you're above them and you're no longer partnering with them and figuring it out. You've rendered a verdict as if you're the judge. Okay. All right. So we look at the other person. We see the problem is the other person. The other person needs to change. By the way, not me, because what they're doing is wrong. And that puts me as superior to them. I've rendered a verdict. They're at fault. And it's in that place that I'm in, I'm in trouble. That's where I'm being judgmental. Okay, or the so, other piece is that you feel somebody you work with is judging you. And it's very hard to be on the other end of that. Um, you have the sense that nothing you do is right, that they're rendering that verdict day after day, hour after hour. And so you don't even want to be around them, which means you and they put up a wall and nothing gets resolved. Yeah. Boy, do I see that all the time. And I particularly see it with a boss subordinate, where the subordinate feels that the boss is judging them at every move they make is somehow seem as inadequate. And they put up a wall and they stop interacting and they stop having communication and that relationship goes south very quickly. Yes. Not And sometimes not because the boss is judging. It's the feeling that's the problem, how the person is feeling about it. Yes. And as soon as the person starts to react to the perceived or real judgment, they begin to shut down. They look a little bit more mopey. The boss looks at them and thinks, that person has an attitude issue. What happens is the conflict that is there that happens because we're all trying to do everything we can and we've got a lot of stress on us leads to really a breakdown and not a resolution. And it's how do we figure out our way through that that I think, Wanda, you and I both work on a lot. Oh, yeah, I spend a lot of time on this one, as I know you do, too, as well, Lynn. Okay, so one of the things that would be helpful in all of this, I get that I need to not be judgmental, easier said than done, but I need a way of talking about other people's styles that help me recognize the style for what it is rather than a right or a wrong or a better or a worse. So how do you help people think about the style? That's a perfect question, and for years I've been teaching all the different inventories on the market, um, but I found most of them too complicated, and others of them weren't easily remembered, and also a lot of them created an intellectual understanding of the other person, but not that real gut level, that visceral understanding of really mm-hmm. where this other person is coming from in a way that respects the other person. So... Um, two years ago, I went into the basement and threw up wall chart pages all over all the walls and started making notes of people who I knew drove each other in the, up the wall. It helped that I had been working for 36 years as a mediator and resolving people problems in the workplace. And I wrote people's names on the wall and bullets about each of them. And I spent months going through, okay, what are the common ways people really um, divide, um, drive each other up the wall? And I came up with four different styles. It took a couple months to boil down what started out as 60 styles into 30 into four. And I came up with descriptors that I think we can all 
remember and relate to, the deciders, the people who want to have things done in a certain way, the relators, the people who really care about each other's feelings, the free spirits who don't want a whole lot of rules, and the detectives who are problem-solving but sometimes um, in their active questioning make other people feel judged. Okay. I love it. It makes a lot of sense to me. So let me repeat this. So the decider, which is the person that wants to see that things get done, the relator that really cares about how other people are feeling, how people are treated, the free spirit that doesn't really want a whole lot of rules, it's all about breaking the rules, and the detective who's the questioner, the critic, but can be seen as fairly judgmental. Is that Did I get those correct? You got them perfectly. And beyond that, all of us have parts of all four However, we all have a preferred type. And so if I'm a relator, and I am, I care about everybody. And I really want everybody to to feel taken care of. I have certain Achilles heels with that. But I also have a little bit of decider in me because I need to get things done. Um, So, And I'm completely a free spirit or I wouldn't be up here in Alaska. So we all have different, um, we're all paradoxical, we're all a mix, and we all have a dominant. Okay. Wanda, what would be your dominant, do you think? Oh, geez, I don't know. Okay. Well, later maybe we can describe (laughs) the four styles a bit better so the people who are even listening can pick who they are. Okay. I think with time, I have become more of a decider with a lot of relator care in there. Yes, I can feel your relator coming across the phone line. (laughs) Good. I think that's a good thing given the work that we both do. All right. So now how does this work? So we've got deciders who get things done. We've got relators who care about the feelings. We've got the free spirit who don't want very many rules. And we've got the detective who's the critic, the questioner, the challenger. How does that now contribute to conflict? Well, let's take a look at what happens. The decider will say, okay, here are the standard operating procedures. And for a decider, they care a lot about accountability and responsibility and duty. Um, They have organized what everybody should do. And the free spirit sits there and looks at it and thinks, oh, that's very interesting. I'm thinking that you created that for yourself or maybe for somebody else. But I don't particularly like being boxed in. Or the relator says well, do you really care enough about each other or about me? Um, so the, the basic ways in which we come about working together immediately create conflict. So I can see this, the decider wanting to move things along, having, you know, kind of the best intentions in the world, things that I'll get ahead of the curve, I'll get some things structured, and when we come to the meeting, I'll have the game plan and the timeline and the roles and accountabilities kind of worked out to move things forward. Okay? Yes. And the relator says, wait a minute, you don't care about me because you didn't ask for my input. Absolutely. And the decider is saying, wait a minute, I was just trying to move things forward. And the relator says, why? Who points you in charge? I can just see how this blows up. Absolutely. And or then the detective- decider says, here's the game plan. It's ideal. And the detective looks at it and says, is that the best you could do? Let's tweak it in these ways. It's going to be even better. 
and the decider who spent the last eight hours putting together the game plan, who in 10 minutes is hearing it critiqued, wants to belt the detective over the head with the game plan. Okay. And the free spirit walks out of the room and says, I'll do it the way I wanted to anyway. Absolutely. Free spirits are a lot of fun. They're really creative. They can move really quickly. The, but they don't like to be boxed in, and they don't really pay attention to other people's rules. Okay. So now, the general principle, if we come back to all of this, if you take these four basic styles, and granted, we're all a lot more complicated than four, but it sure is nice to have a simple framework to think through and something that is intuitive. And recognize, I have one style, somebody else has another style, and not let the styles get in conflict. So give us a kind of a, how do you deal with this? What I wind up doing is I wind up teaching people uh, about each of the different styles so they can really see the virtues of the other styles. For example, if you really want something done and you want somebody who is dependable and stable and takes duty seriously, give it to a decider. If you want someone who's going to um, make sure that uh, the people involved uh, feel like their input is listened to and who... um, who uh, will understand each other's and will give approval, find a relator. If you want somebody who can work hard and fast and color outside the lines, find a free spirit. And if you're around a detective, they are wonderful people. They are the true problem solvers, but they dive right over empathy to get at the problem. And they're probably the type in the workplace that creates the most conflict. I can think, I mean, I can just picture a number of conflicts that I've seen. I'll give you a really quick example before we take a break. I was working with a team, and in that team, we have one free spirit, very clearly. And it emerges in this particular case out of some other assessments they were doing, but clearly comes as a free spirit. Driving the rest of the team batty because the rest of the team would like to structure when do we take vacations. I want to know when you're going on vacation, when I'm going on vacation, so I can plan. That's a decider for you. And the free spirit says, I have no idea. I'll do it when I want to. And it driving them crazy. They can't even get their vacation schedule structured. And you can see exactly how that leads to all sorts of tensions. Absolutely. Okay, so you teach people to see the virtue of the styles, so to recognize the styles and see the virtue of the styles, and then what's next? What's interesting is how people respond to that information. Um, I will frequently use this in mediation, and a person will talk, and the other person will be looking at them with skepticism, disbelief, and frankly, dislike. And I'll say to the person who has attitude all over his or her face, okay, when your partner over there talked, what he or she meant was X, Y, Z. And the person who has skepticism and judgmentalness all over their face says, I didn't hear that. And the person who I've just translated for says, that's absolutely what I meant. And so Uh. both parties look at each other in total shock because the person who was hearing didn't really hear what the person who was talking said. They heard their interpretation of what was said based out of their own style. So a detective comes up to a situation, and maybe you're standing there by the copier and it's not working, and you were trying to make a copy, and in the middle of your operation, it just, it just 
went cattywampus. And you're saying, this isn't working because you're venting out loud just for a moment. And a detective walks up and says, oh, what were you doing when it stopped working? And you turn to them and think, I immediately am feeling blamed by that question. And you say, I was just trying to make a copy. And the detective says, well, what kind of copy? Were you trying to duplex or were you doing single-sided? What was going on? And you say, I was just trying to make a copy. And the detective says, well, let's take a look at what you did. Now, with those words, let's take a look at what you did, the detective absolutely meant, let's get in here and solve the problem so we can fix it. And you hear what I did. Huh. And so from then on, you avoid the detective. All right. And go back to your desk and say various unpleasant things about the detective. I see now where we get back to the judgmental. All right, this is a perfect time to take a break. So let me just kind of recap for this one. The notion is that people who have a different view, a different way of doing things, and are stressed, overworked, fast-paced, let's get it done, or let's talk world, they have a different view, a different way of doing things, make us crazy because what we want and what they want don't align. And then we become judgmental. We look at the other person. We see that the problem is them, that they're doing things incorrectly. We have a negative opinion and that puts them up, puts us above them. We deliver a verdict. Or on the other receiving side, I feel judged and I feel that that was unfair. And so I put up a wall and then nothing good happens. There's no resolution. So what we need to do is understand the four styles, the four big core styles, the decider who gets things done, the relator who cares about feelings, the free spirit who doesn't want any rules or bounds, and the detective who's the question critic problem solver. And see that each of them uses a different language and a different way of working, a different way of thinking, and says we even don't understand what each other is saying. So it's hearing each other in a better way that's going to get us to a better resolution. So with that, we're going to take a break. And when I come back, I'm going to dig more into this. How do we? So what do we do? We get the basic process. But what can I do as an individual sitting there that's going to make the conflict easier? So with me today is Lynn Curry, president of the Growth Group, who's a fabulous coach. And the blog I want to press is workplacecoach.blog.com. Let me try that again. www.workplacecoachblog.com. The two books are Beating the Workplace Bully and Solutions. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. You 
are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Lynn Curry, president of the Growth Group, and Lynn has over 30 years experience helping clients at all levels, board, manager, and employee, deal with people-related issues, whether that's coaching or consulting. Um, She's the author of four books, two in particular, Beating the Workplace Bully and Solutions, and she has a lovely blog at www.workplacecoachblog.com, and better Lynn is based in Alaska. So we have just been talking about Lynn's view of differences in styles and the ways in which differences in styles bring us to be judgmental of each other and then block collaboration and cooperation. And the four styles we've been talking about are the decider who wants to get things done, the relator who cares about how people are feeling, the free spirit who doesn't want any rules or bounds or constraints, and the detective who's the critic, the questioner, the problem solving each coming at the world with a different view, a different language, and a different set of issues. We don't even hear what each other mean as a result. So, Lynn, the real question is, I can begin to see what type I might be, and more particularly what type that person sitting across the way from me who drives me crazy is, and what can I do? I mean, I can hire you to come in and help translate, but apart from that, what can I do to make this better? I think when you approach another person, if you try to understand where he or she is coming from and ask questions in terms of, we're going to be working together on this project, what do you want from me? You know, how can I be most helpful to you? How can I, um, what kind of communication do you want? What kind of support do you want? How would you like us to coordinate? Then you'll learn that this other person only wants to do it by email. Or you'll learn that this other person feels most comfortable coming into your office and talking because they feel that if they have to write it out in an email, that takes a lot of time. But if they can pop their head in your door and just say, ba 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 ba, then you've got it done in two minutes. So what you start off with is the idea of how can we work together? Because that's actually the bottom line. The reason we get sideways with each other it's not that we think the other person's a bad person at first. It's that we've got to work with them, and the way in which they work just makes us go nuts. <laughs> I love that. The way they work makes us go nuts. That's a f- wonderful summary. I love it. Um, so now I can imagine starting a conversation. I can imagine a number of listeners starting a conversation with a colleague at the beginning of a project and saying, "Okay, so I want to understand how you like to work. What do you What do you want from me? Um, how do you want to communicate? What kind of support do you want? How do you want to coordinate?" And I listen. Now. But where do I get my voice in that? Because that isn't how I want to work. So what happens next? What happens next, I think, is that you say, so I understand how it works for you. Can we tweak it a bit? Because this is what works for me. So you have that two-way discussion. If you start with what the other person wants first, 
they're more likely to want to hear what you have to say. And what's really nice is between the two of you, you can create operating agreements. Here is how we're going to work together. And then you both got a foundation to make it work well. The other piece is if things start to unravel in the middle, we tend to go into our brain and start foaming at the mouth in terms of how the other person's been acting. And that's not the time to isolate ourselves and render judgments about the other person. That's actually the time to find the other person and say, you know, things were going really smoothly for a while. They've started to go a little bit off off the rails. Can we talk about how to fix it? So you're talking about how to fix it. You're talking about solutions. You're not judging. You're not blaming. And you're not staying in terms of the problem. You're not letting the problem get worse. Problems that don't get addressed fester and always get worse. Okay. So it's not when things don't go the way it's planned. It's a matter of not pulling off to yourself and dwelling on those thoughts yourself because that's the point at which you go into either chaotic thinking, what is it about me and why did I do this and why isn't this working and why can't I make this when you drive yourself bananas and withdraw, nor is it time to go off and have a gossip with your best friend about what an idiot this other person is and how inappropriate they are and so on, and we go into the judgmental space. Rather, it's a time to say to the individual, this isn't working for me, so can we talk about how to make it more effective? Yes, or instead of this isn't working for me, I'm noticing that we were doing really well for a while, but things seem to have had a couple glitches in the last week or two, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are. So you approach it as if you and I have a common problem, and it's not you. Okay. All right. So a common problem, which is not the individual, not one individual. All right. Now, what happens, Lynn, if the other person just doesn't want to talk to me? Well, a lot of times you have to take a look at how come that happened. And half the time when the other person doesn't want to talk, in your approach, you've approached it with some level of blame without meaning to or some level of judgmentalness, so they've shut down. When we start conversations, we have to be really careful as to how we context it. So um, I've already talked about saying, hey, things were going well. They seem to have gone slightly off the rails in the last couple of days. Another way is, you know, I really appreciate your talent in these areas. I want us to work well together. Um, I'm hoping we could have a short conversation to figure out how to most productively work together. What are your thoughts about doing that and when is a good time? So you start with a context that enables the other person to think, okay, this is not going to be a horrible conversation in which you blame me. This is going to be a conversation that's going to be really productive. Okay. So, and I do find that it's very easy for people to indicate blame without even realizing that they've done it. And the easiest one is I start the sentence with a you. Yes, (laughs) Even if it's a compliment, it doesn't tend to go over very well. All right, so 
we sit down, we start at the beginning of the project. Where are you coming from? How do you like to work? What do you want from me? How are we going to coordinate? Um, and I try to understand, and then we tweak that a bit. And then if things are going off the rails, we sit down and have the same kind of conversation, but we make sure that the context, every time I initiate that conversation, is constructive, positive, mutual, not a blame in any way. Okay? And what happens after that? After that, hopefully you find out what the other person was thinking, and you begin to realize, oh, there was another point of view about this, or maybe, my goodness, the other person had no um, clue things were going off the rails. They felt like everything was smooth. Um, you get a chance to reflect on your own participation in it and whether you've been making things more problematic. Um, and you also get the other person more willing to listen to what you have to say. If the other person gets to talk first, they tend to be much more willing to hear your point of view. Okay. That's an important one. A lot of people I know feel like if I don't get my words in, I'm never going to get them in, and that other person will control and dominate the discussion, and I will never get anything said. But you're saying the exact opposite, that let the other person talk first because that makes them more willing to adjust, adapt, hear a point of view. Not only that, but if you're the one who's asking the questions, you're actually in control of the conversation. You think the other person's in control because they're talking, but you're in control because you can ask the questions. And Uh you get all of the spade work done in terms of what's really going on with them. If you're ever negotiating, you, you know that you want as much information as you can first before you start to negotiate for what you want. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. All right. So now let's go back, though. What happens? I mean, so we talked about this when we start working on a project together, which makes a lot of sense. What if we've already been working together for a while and it's just a very tension filled relationship? What do you do in those cases? Because it's not like we get to sit down and say, okay, how do you want to work and how do you get to communicate? We're already past that point in some ways. That might be a time when you need to pull in your manager and say, you know, um, John and I are tasked to work together on these kinds of things, but things have been pretty tense between the two of us. It's not that I don't like John, or or maybe you can't say that because you don't like John, but you say, I think we need to outline expectations, and we might need a third party, you, the manager, to help us um, figure out how we should best work together. Okay. All right, so let me give you an example of a case I had not too long ago. So in this particular, it happened to be two women. It could have been two men. It could have been anybody. They've been working together for a year, I'd say. But the conflict between them had gotten so high that they virtually did not speak to each other. Now, they're close together and actually on the same team together. So what they did to make this manageable is they basically took the work that they needed to collaborate on and divided it in half. And one person has one half, the other person has the other half. And that means we don't ever have to speak together, except for the fact that the team actually needs them to speak together, the manager needs them to speak together, and there's still some collaboration that needs to happen. I think if I look in your terms, one, I'll call her Anne in this case, is a relator. She she gets really upset if you don't say hello. One of the things that happened is she felt that the other person, Elizabeth, had not cared about her in a way that Anne thought was an appropriate 
way to care. Okay? Elizabeth, on the other hand, is a decider in your style categories. So this is standard operating procedure. We have a standard operating procedure for a reason. There are rules. We follow the reason. This is how we get things done. This is what it means. I think you'd call that a decider. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she, one of the reasons that she was uncomfortable with how she interacted with Anne is that she kind of felt like Anne wasn't following the rules. She emphasizing the empathy and relationship and caring over the rules. So they get to a place where they've taken an event and blown it all out of proportion and each of them saying this is the excuse why the other isn't trusted, can't be managed, can't work with them, blah, 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 blah. So you see your two styles there absolutely totally in conflict. This and has been going on for a year. Perfect recipe for disaster where each person is talking about their storyline in their own head um, where everybody else is impacted because it, these two people have decided they won't work with each other so everyone else who's trying to work with the two of them together has to work around them. Um, because they're working independently in silos, it's going to happen that what they create when they create their best product is not going to work well with the other. Um, and they're just, they're going to, this thing is going to blow apart. Okay. All right. So if you were advising them, what would you tell them to do? Um, if you have that chance for a third party there, the third party can sit them down and say, by the way, and what do you value about Elizabeth? And Elizabeth, what do you value or respect about Anne? What is shocking is the look on people's face when they're hearing this person who they've built up in their mind into a total jerk say, well, I really value this person's competency, or I really value how this person is able to come up with answers where I haven't myself come up with answers. Then you say, okay, what do we have to discuss? What do we have to work out? So this works better. Now let's take the opposite um, framework where either Anne or Elizabeth decides that they're going to try and break through this. Elizabeth Mm -hmm. is potentially the more likely to want to break through it because Elizabeth really values getting work done and production. And she's going to ultimately decide we're not as productive as we could be because Anne is being a basket case. Anne is Mm -hmm. needy. So... I'm going to march down and talk to Anne. And what Elizabeth needs to do at that point is take a breath and think, if I want to get to the end of the line, I have to look at how I start this off. Approach is going to dictate response. Anne, on the other hand, might be likely to be the one who initiates it because a relator's not comfortable when other people don't like them and when there's misunderstanding afoot. So Anne might simply bake banana bread (laughs) or do something else to see if she can't get things loosened up a bit. By the Mm -hmm. way, am I making sense? Absolutely making sense. And not all that different from what actually happened. I mean, Elizabeth did say, okay, let's go back to the facts and sort out the facts and let's figure out what exactly has happened. And Anne kind of didn't care because the facts aren't the issue. The feelings are the issue. And so Anne says, great, let's go out for drinks or have a dinner. And Elizabeth is saying, what is good is that going to do? <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
So you see, even in, in conflict, their own worldview, their own style, kind of keeping them stuck in their own place. So I like this notion, though, that you have people sit down and sort of say, what is it that you value about the other person? And recognize that, you know, each of you are not really truly a creep or a jerk, that there are some redeeming features, and that seems to break open some possibilities. And then, do you have any secrets for helping people understand how the other person, I mean, you said earlier you do a translation. You say, here's what they meant by that sentence. Are there any other ways of understanding what somebody who's not my style means? Well, I've got a real simple tool that Wanda, I can send you so that any of your listeners can get it from you or they can get it from me. Um, It's called the Conflict Diagnosis Worksheet. And you sit down and respond to a number of different questions like, so what's the conflict what are your assumptions about the other person? What are you willing to do and what do you hope happens? Really four mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. And then once you've filled that out, then you have to become the other person in your mind. And if they were the person who was filling it out, what are their assumptions about you? What do they hope happens? What are they willing to do? And how would they define the conflict? I have never given it to people when they didn't, have a reaction to what they figured out when they wrote the other side. For example, they might realize, I have no clue how the other person sees this, and if so, how come they're not finding that out? Or they might think, the other person doesn't even see this as a problem, or they might think, the other person thinks I'm the problem, or they'll have some kind of clue For example, when I used it on my own situation with someone I had to negotiate with who I really didn't like how they were negotiating me down to the basement every time, um, as I was filling out his part of it, it dawned on me that he saw me as a cream puff, that I came into situations with this la-la notion of what's fair, and I would start out with what's fair, and he would negotiate me down to what was way beneath what was fair. So the next time I walked in to negotiate with him, I started well above what was fair, and he negotiated me down to what was fair. But I had to realize how he was viewing me to be able to get through to something that I could stand. Okay. All right. Fabulous. Okay. And then in all of this, it's the notion of when I change my understanding of the other person, what the other person sees, wants, respects, needs, and understand deeply what I want, need, respect, and so on. It's out of that that solutions, resolutions, different tweaks are going to come that make it a more palatable working relationship. Did I get that straight? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take a break again. And with me today is Lynn Curry, president of the Growth Group. Lynn is in Anchorage, Alaska, and is really fabulous at helping companies and employees and managers and boards understand how to deal with people issues, whether that's coaching or training. She's good with the Workplace Bully, which is one of her books as well as with this notion of conflict, helping people understand the ways in which our styles and our worldviews set us up to see the other person as wrong and how that makes it then impossible to resolve conflict. 
So when we come back from the break, I want to talk about mediation. It's um, a well-known technique, one I think has enormous use in the business place, but we tend to think about it in legalistic terms, and Lynn's a specialist in mediation, so we'll have a word about that when we come back. Join us then. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., Helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. With co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless, Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone, To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Dr. Lynn Curry, and Lynn is president of The Growth Company. I've been saying that incorrectly. Um, two fabulous books, Beating the Workplace Bully and Solutions, a really excellent blog, Workplace Coach blog, as well as the TheBullyWhisperer.com and a dozens of other writings and columns and so forth. We've been talking about conflict. Now, if I just do this story really, really clearly as one quick summary, Lynn identifies four distinctly different styles, the decider, get things done, the relator, who cares about feelings, the free spirit, who doesn't want to be constrained by rules, and the detective, who wants to solve the problems and get to the basic essence and critic of the issue. Those styles lead us to a different perspective, different language, different way of working. And the secret around conflict is to sit down and have a candid conversation with the other person about how they'd like to work, what they want from you, um, and how you can coordinate, and to keep those lines of communication open. And part of that comes from not judging the other person as being right or wrong or better or worse, but instead of trying to understand what they mean, how what they want, and how you can best collaborate. And it's the context that you use that makes that work. Also helps if you can value that other style for something unique. Now, on occasion, we find that the conflict between two individuals or the tension between individuals gets so high that we really need to bring in a third party, that it's past what the two can deal with. And it's at this place that I start talking with clients about mediation. But when I say the word mediation, most people think, 
oh, I'm not in a legal suit yet, where we would do that formal legal mediation. And they'll say, oh, it's not serious enough yet for mediation. So, Lynn, first, in your view, in the workplace, what is mediation? Well, a mediation is when two people or two parties um, or a dozen parties come together with a neutral outsider who's a referee for the conversation, who gets people talking and helps folks have a chance to say what they want to say while the other person actually listens. So part of the mediator's job is to get the listening happening because most people don't have any trouble saying what they want to say. Um, I frequently will call it a facilitated meeting so that people don't have that reaction to mediation. However, I find that many, many companies are using mediators a whole lot and finding great results. And once that happens, they use they have no problem with the name mediation. Okay. I think once people understand it, they can see why it would be really beneficial. And I certainly know that that neutral third party, sometimes it's a manager, but sometimes a manager has a vested interest, so it's not neutral enough, that just ensures each party has heard what the other one is trying to say can be really helpful. So how does mediation, when you go in to help clients and recognize it could be two groups that are in conflict, but let's keep it as two people to keep it simple for the moment. How does that work? What I do initially is I say to the two individuals, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to have a conversation. I'm going to ask each of you what you want out of this mediation. I'm going to ask each of you what you value and respect about the other person. Uh, Each of you will get a chance to say the topics or issues you think need to be discussed. And then I'll pick one of those for us to start on and we'll facilitate our conversation until we come out with one or more operating agreements, which will be the foundation for how the two of you work together. Then, before we get going, I give them a couple rules of engagement. And the rules of engagement are um, they have to be, they have to listen when the other person is talking. Um, they have to watch how they say things so that instead of trying to slam dunk the other person, they say it in a way they think the other person might be willing to hear or they say what they want in the future, not what went wrong in the past. Um, Mm -hmm. I talk about they have to keep it to 75 watts or less using wattage um, in the way a light bulb is, that if I let either person get to 100 watts, the other person will want to go to 150 Um, So I set a few ground rules, and I find that the ground rules really help, as does each person talking in turn while the other person is able to take notes if they want to make notes, but they can't interrupt them. Okay. And then do you, in the middle of this one, sort of translate for people? Do you kind of say, wait a minute, I know you didn't understand what that is. Let me try to rephrase it. I will frequently translate. Sometimes I'll ask either party questions because I'll think if I help have them answer questions, um, they'll make their point more clearly. Uh, Sometimes when I notice things, I'll, I'll intervene and I'll say, so I'm noticing what's going on. You are talking in a way that makes it really hard to hear because you're saying, here's what you did wrong and here's how come you have a problem. And you, on the other hand, stopped listening about four minutes ago, um, so you're completely tuned out. When I do that, I call both parties on what 
how they are not communicating. And that shocks each person because they're each getting a little bit of, whoops, she's watching. And I'm not coming out the perfect princess here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, we think we're paying attention. I just did an exercise with a group where there was a videotape going on in the background for a different reason. And it became really clear where someone checked out. You could just absolutely see it on videotape. The individual thought that they were kind of faking it pretty well and not checking out and saw it on videotape. And it was kind of a, quite a shock. So I know what you mean of that. I quit listening four minutes ago and I think nobody's paying it attention. All right. Fair enough. So, Lynn, if you were to do this with two groups, so say it's two teams now that have got, you know, need to collaborate with each other or pass work between the two of them and the tension between the two teams has gotten high. Is it any different when you bring two teams together? I spend a little bit more time up front teaching people how to, t- uh, some skills so that it'll go better. For example, I often teach the skill of how to take criticism which is we can react to criticism, uh, we can attack, we can get defensive, or when we feel we're getting criticized, we can ask a question. So if someone else says, you really made a mess of that, um, you can ask, so how do you see it as a mess? Again, if you're the one asking the questions, you're in control. However, you're also forced then to delve into the other person's perspective. So even as you're taking control, you're learning. Um, we call it partnering sessions rather than mediation. And I've done it for the Army, for the Corps of Engineers, for en- engineering companies, for construction companies. Once or twice when there was a $7.9 million dispute that if it had gone into litigation um, would have been several years of litigation. Wow. Okay. So it's going to have a huge impact. And I certainly know that this kind of thing works incredibly well when you've got union management disagreements or when you've got different teams working against each other. Um, It has a lot of power. Now, as a manager, how do you advise managers get more skilled at trying to do mediation themselves? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I find that one of the things when I'm um, talking to a manager about doing it is they need the framework. They need to realize that they can uh, set some rules of engagement so that the conversation will be effective because if they don't set those rules of engagement up front, things can go off the rails really quickly and Mm -hmm. that they want to remember things like as a first step, having folks define what they want out of the meeting As a second step, having each person say what they respect or value. And as a third step, having the parties say, here are the issues that have to be addressed. And then letting the manager know that he or she gets to pick which issue to start with. Um, If a manager is going to do it, he might or she might tell the parties ahead of time, here's how we're going to proceed. Because one or both people may say, well, there's nothing I value or respect about the other person. And then the manager can say to them, well, that's a pity because if you can't even think of one thing that you value or respect about this person who I'm continuing to pay money to, um, it appears that you think I'm an idiot. And (laughs) folks have to realize that they can't fold their arms across their chest and sit there rigidly stone-faced as if the other person is 
lower than mud. Okay. I um, It's funny that you say that when people ask me about how they improve a relationship at work, and it's usually a quick question. It's not an ongoing conversation with them. And I always say, find something you respect. And they go, there's nothing I respect. To which I respond, somebody in the building respects it or they wouldn't keep paying them. So figure out what that is and see if you can't value some part of it. The first response is usually not very kind, but the second one is, oh, okay, you're right. I get it. So it's true. It's magic. And you are disrespecting the manager if you say there's nothing about this individual I respect. Okay, Lynn, any last piece of advice that you want to give in our last minute on managing conflict? Well, two things to say. One thing is we all have this ability to do it. We tend to um, give up our ability and our power when we sit and let it fester. Uh, If we move in right away, we can fix things more easily, and we all have more skills than we know. Second is since I write two weekly um, articles where I answer like Dear Abby of the Workplace questions. Anybody can email me and with a question and I'll shoot them a short answer. And the email address is lynn, L-Y-N-N-E, at thegrowthcompany, G-R-O-W-T-H company, dot com. And um, so you can get some free advice. Great idea. And you offered earlier to provide a checklist of questions. So I'm assuming people can either email you at lynn at growth company um, or send, if you'll send that to me, I'll make sure that it's up on our website at leadershipfarming.com. Great. Fabulous. Lynn, excellent show today. I think the really highlight of this one, if I just synthesize it all through, through, two things really strike me. One is I really like your framework of the four different styles, simple, memorable, decider, relator, free spirit, and detective. And the other one is to just highlight for us the ways in which we get judgmental about other people and how that blocks our ability to collaborate. Fabulous show. Thank you. It was a lot of fun to interact with you again. As I, um, If you're listening, what I told Wanda at break is that she's a fabulous synthesizer of what anyone says. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And with that, next week, the guest is going to be, well, me. I never get to give my view and my perspective, so that's what we're going to do. Someone's going to interview me for a change. So join us next week. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.